Welcome to The Mentor List, a source of sound advice with your host, David Lewis. To seek support and you need to allow yourself to be supported. Really have a point of difference. What is precious, what's really important, and then putting some boundaries there. The Mentor List specialises in interviews with top business minds. Gather their advice for your career. This is The Mentor List. Hello and welcome to The Mentor List. Today we are catching up and having a conversation with Jamie Pride. Jamie Pride is a serial entrepreneur, venture capitalist and author on a mission to make entrepreneurs, executives and enterprises value-proof. As an entrepreneur, Jamie sold his first startup, Valtio, to New York-based system integrator Blue Wolf and has founded over six technology startups. As an investor, he has raised more than $16 million in funding for startups via private and public markets, including completing an IPO on the Australian Stock Exchange in 2015. He has more than 20 years experience in international technology and digital media organizations, including leading realestate.com.au and senior positions with Deloitte Digital, Salesforce.com, Red Hat, Veritas and Cisco Systems. Jamie's a sought-after public speaker and regularly, I always struggle with that word, comments on building resilience, overcoming failure, how to be successful at startups and small businesses, disruptive innovation and design thinking. He is the managing partner of Phi Digital Ventures, an early-stage social impact venture fund that seeks to invest in Australian companies looking to change the world. He's also the co-founder of the Founder Lab, an educational institution for entrepreneurs that seek to build and support better founders. Jamie is also recently an author of his uh, best-selling book, Unicorn Tears, Why Startups Fail and How to Avoid It, published by Wiley in February 2018, which was shortly after we have interviewed him. So, Hope you enjoyed today's conversation and don't miss Jamie's daily habits where we ask him about that. It's possibly the most disciplined and most interesting structured way to start his day. So I hope you enjoy today's conversation with Jamie Pride. So Jamie Pride, welcome to the mentor list. Hey, fantastic. Good to be here. Well, yeah, it's, it's great to have you on. And yeah, for those that maybe aren't familiar with Jamie Pride, if maybe you could share a little bit about your story. Yeah, look, so I probably describe myself as 50% entrepreneur and 50% venture capitalist. I have spent my probably most recent career working in both of those domains. But over probably a 20-year career history, it's probably been a blend of, of corporate as well as sort of ultimately moving into the entrepreneurial journey and then evolving into being a venture capitalist. So, you know, I started out my career as a physicist of all things and started to work in technology for US technology companies. So work for people like Cisco Systems and people like Red Hat and Salesforce.com. And so enjoyed some time both in Australia and abroad, you know, working in the corporate world. And then ultimately came back to Australia to be the CEO of realestate.com.au and then found myself at Deloitte as a partner. And that was pretty much my uh, corporate career in a, in a nutshell. Wow. And I, I guess, so realestate.com, so, I mean, this, this was a business that just exploded in, in terms of growth. I mean, I guess what, what part of the journey were you on? Was that sort of, did it feel entrepreneurial, even though it's a corporate, or was it more around that where it's becoming more established? Or Yeah, I was also at the point of transition. You know, I, I'd come back from Singapore and moved my family to Melbourne for the role and, you know, to run the Australian business, which was 
at that stage, probably about $180, 200000000 million business in revenue, maybe a little bit more, and growing. But it certainly wasn't the behemoth that, that REA is today. It was certainly on the journey. Simon Baker had done an amazing job of growing the business you know, internationally. And then Greg Ellis came in as the group CEO, you know, to, to sort of change the strategy. But, you know, I was probably there at a time of inflection, just at the, at the end, I would suggest, of the kind of entrepreneurial sort of kind of time and sort of moving more towards sort of corporatization. But it was a great time to be there and, and certainly a very interesting business. Yeah, and I guess uh, I'm not sure if they were located in, in sort of Cremorne, Richmond area then, but that's certainly an area now where a lot of ITs have sort of been drawn to and I guess real estate was, realestate.com was one of the first ones in there. That is- yeah, um, I was uh, just next to Vic Gardens actually, you know, when, when the business was probably still reasonably small, still only a couple of hundred people in Australia, you know, it was, it was definitely growing. So, you know, one of the, I think, you know, the iconic Melbourne technology companies up there with Seek and, and the car sales as well. So, you know, I think, you know, the classifieds market in, in online really grew out of, of Melbourne. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, what a great time to sort of be involved and even at the helm and calling the shots and, yeah, amazing. I, I guess yeah, you sort of say 50-50 entrepreneur, 50 50-50 venture capital. I mean, is, is this like chalk and cheese? Maybe you can... No, I mean, look, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I mean, I think they go together really well. I mean, how I ended up being an entrepreneur is, you know, I ultimately got fired from pretty much every corporate job I had in one shape or another. I mean, I say that in jest, but, you know, the reality, the reality is, is that, you know, I was always dissatisfied in the corporate world and wanted to, to I guess, make more of an impact. And, and I had an entrepreneurial you know, spark probably from an early age and, and had tried to start a number of businesses over the course of, of my corporate career. I got to the point where I was sort of at REA and, and I founded a, a technology business that was focused on salesforce.com, which is a company that I'd worked for previously with two other founders and, and we built a really large salesforce.com consultancy practice. And um, as a result of that, I sort of I went to Deloitte to do some, some work there running the Deloitte digital practice, you know, but the first entrepreneurial endeavor that I had was it was a company called Veltio, which we ultimately sold to a New York based company. And as a result of that, I got to sort of understand what it was like to be a founder, you know, working in small business, you know, having the stress, but also the upside of, you know, kind of working for yourself and and working with other co-founders. And over time, and I guess subsequent to that sale of that business, worked out that I had some value to add to other businesses both as an investor, but also as a board member and as a mentor to to other startup founders. And so for me, you know, being a venture capitalist sometimes can be the antithesis of, of being an entrepreneur. But I think venture capitalists who have been founders, who are still active founders, you know, have a level of empathy, have a little level of credibility with with founders, you know, that give them an edge. And so, you know, I can relate to a founder, I can tell when they're stressed, I can tell when they're not confident about a particular part of their business and I can share my own war stories and my own scars about, you know, where I've, you know, screwed up as a founder, which I've done plenty of times and I I guess bring that as well as capital to people's businesses. So so I think they're really complementary. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a interesting sort of way to way to position the two. Yeah, I, I guess yeah, venture capitalists. I'm I'm thinking okay, ROI. I'm thinking get the business established, and I think entrepreneur, which is just 
all agility and fun and <laughs> and I guess sweat and blood and tears and yeah it's interesting to say that the empathy for the founder when they're stressed I'd, I'd sort of argue that they're always stressed to some degree <laughs> yeah well they're either, they're, either, they're either completely stressed or they're in denial but either way it's certainly a roller coaster yeah and I guess maybe just back to when you're talking about the corporate world and it sounds like maybe there was some higher calling or maybe a, there's something driving you to get out of there frustration or high purpose or something was it the corporate environment was it yeah what what was it that was sort of I guess calling you oh look I mean I mean I, I, I don't get me wrong I mean I think you know the corporate environment is is really you know quite advantageous and it's a great place to learn you know my time at Deloitte as a partner there is something that I completely treasure it's a it's an organization that I've got a huge amount of respect for you know there's there's a there's a huge number of partners in that firm who are you know extremely smart you know and who are amazing at delivering value for their customers and for me you know I wanted to work in a smaller environment and somewhere where that I could you know get closer to the customer but also be I guess, more responsible for the success or failure of a particular outcome. And, you know, that's a two-edged sword. You know, it's certainly when it's going well, you know, it's great to be there impacting people's lives and their businesses in a positive way. When it's going bad, like it all falls on your shoulders. And, you know, I've I've done a lot of work in the not-for-profit space. I've set up a not-for-profit focused on founder mental health and isolation, which I think is, you know, a byproduct of, you know, some of the stress and anxiety that founders go through as part of their entrepreneurial journey. So, yeah, look, it was a bit of a calling, you know, maybe I'm a misfit. You know, I think all entrepreneurs have a particular kind of set of characteristics. I mean, they are very diverse, but a lot of them are, you know, very passionate. They're connected to the problem they're solving. You know, sometimes they're a bit hard charging. You know, they've got particular personality types, but, you know, they've all got a story. I love listening to entrepreneurs' journeys and understanding sort of where, they, where they've come from because a lot of that infuses into their DNA in terms of how they how they think, how they act, you know, and how they solve problems. And, and I think that's really, really interesting. Yeah, it's probably a good segue. You mentioned uh, ambiguity a few times. I, I think you're just, I guess, highly uncertain environments that, that, that you know, you're playing in this as in that early stage entrepreneurship. But, yeah, it's probably a good segue into the Founder Lab. So maybe you can talk us through what it is and, how it came to be and yeah it sounds like you know through your experience it's it's come to be but maybe you want to share with your perspective yeah look i mean when i started both uh founding startups and also investing in startups a lot of people focus on the business and that's not a bad thing so you know looking at the value proposition understanding what the business model is looking at the product and focusing on the business is you know i think broadly understood as being a a good thing to do you know there's a lot of work out there in terms of lean startup and business model generation people who've expanded the body knowledge in that space so that people are attacking their startups with a lot more rigor than they were previously but we saw a gap in the market where nobody was really taking care of founders and giving founders the skills that they needed to grow and develop and so you know i started to meet founders of all different shapes and sizes new founders people thinking about leaving the corporate world and people who were already in a startup but were just sort of working on trial and error and so myself and my business partner started to say you know what you know founders have a disproportionate impact to the success or failure of their startups yet nobody's kind of giving them a map on how they should approach that and so we put the founder lab together with the mission of saying that we wanted to build better founders and that working on founders 
ultimately had a a beneficial impact on their businesses because if they were more self-aware, if they were more resilient, if they were more adaptable, then they would achieve better outcomes with their teams, with their customers, with their products. They'd be able to deal with the ups and downs of startup life more resiliently. You know, they'd be able to deal with the stress, the criticism, you know, the fear, the anxiety. And so that's why we founded the Founder Lab. And so we'd run a series of you know, boot camps and retreats and we do one-on-one coaching and mentoring with founders to help them to develop capacity more than capability. So a lot of people focus on skills like, you know, I need to be able to read a set of financials or I need to be able to understand a product development life cycle. But I personally believe that if you're going to survive as an entrepreneur, you need to build capacity as well as capability. And for me, capacity is physical capacity. So, you know, are you healthy? Are you sleeping? You know, are you drinking too much? You know, all of those sort of things around your sort of physical well-being. You know, do you have your mental capacity in place? So are you looking at meditation or mindfulness, you know, giving yourself that sort of headspace and then emotional capacity? So, you know, how do you deal with Uh, stress, depression, anxiety, and do you have outlets or mechanisms for you to be able to, you know, kind of deal with, you know, what is a pretty high emotional workload in a startup? And so we're very much focused around capacity building. Yeah, look, capability is important, leadership skills, communication skills, selling skills, all of those things can be taught, but we look at building capacity over a longer period of time as a way for us to get better outcomes. Yeah, amazing. I didn't know it was so focused on, I guess, um, sort of softer skills, but you know, I can in it, certainly in my own journey, I can see, I see the roller coaster of emotion, and it's just you know, some days it's just it's amazing, and the next minute it is not great. <laughs> uh, it's, it's crazy. I mean, if you look at this one indicator, right? So let's just look at sleep, for example. You know, most founders I know don't sleep very well, either because they're burning the candle at both ends or alternatively they're, they're uh, you know, drinking too much or they're not eating well. And just that one indicator of sleep has just a huge impact on a founder's ability to lead their business, to have good relationships with their team, you know, to be creative and to deal with stress. And so, you know, it it certainly builds foundational elements that make founders more successful. And to a certain degree, it's uh, in contrast to a lot of hype that goes on around the startup community, the whole like, I'm crushing it, I'm, you know, I'm all about the hustle, I'm doing this, you know, 24 by 7, you know, all of those things that, you know, we hear in the media and I just don't think are the right things to be communicating to founders, you know, balance and taking time for yourself and making sure that you are, you know, really sort of, you know, kind of focusing on that area of self-care and development is just going to have a bit of long-term impact for founders. And is this sort of something in hindsight that you've developed through, I guess, going through that process or did you have the sort of enlightenment as you were going through these startup businesses yourself as an entrepreneur? Oh, oh look, I was the worst example of everything okay. as a founder. I mean, you know, I am, um, and at my peak, I mean, you know, one of our companies lost $200 million in market cap in the space of 14 weeks. And I was, you know, 30 kilos overweight. I was drinking a bottle of wine every night. I wasn't sleeping. You know, I was a mess physically, mentally, and emotionally. And I think, you know, that journey that I had myself 
And, you know, I, that was only, you know, I was probably 40, 42 at that point in time, you know, late in my career thinking that, you know, I'd had the experience and I'd done this before. I'd founded six startups, you know, I'd raised you know, 20 million bucks for various startups. And it, it sort of took me as a bit of a, a bit of a surprise and as, and as a wake-up call to sort of say, do you know what? Yeah, you can have all the capability in the world, but if you're building that on a very unstable foundation of, you know, poor physical health, poor mental and emotional stamina, you know, then you're not going to be successful. And so as a result of that, you know, I obviously wrote the book, but, you know, I, I went on to found the Founder Lab believing that focusing on, you know, founder development was the area that the startup community lacked the most. Yeah, and maybe if we could just stay there on the on the book for a second, if you could just, because uh, it's very recent that it's been, uh, I guess, released. So, yeah, maybe we can talk through what it's about, what drove you to write it and who should read it. Yeah, so look, it was, uh, the book's called Unicorn Tears, um, Why Startups Fail and How to Avoid It. The title is in play on words, you know, in the startup community, a unicorn is a startup that has a billion-dollar valuation and most venture capitalists and most entrepreneurs are searching for for unicorns, but there are very, very few of them out there. Uh, in fact, 92 out of 100 startups fail within the first three years is the statistic, and three startups are founded every minute. So if you think about it, on average, nine out of 10 startups will fail. So there are very, very few unicorns. Of the eight that do succeed, probably only 1% of the businesses that are founded will ultimately be a unicorn. And so you look at that and you go, okay, there's a huge amount of financial waste and, you know, and kind of economic waste associated with that failure rate, but there's a huge amount of personal waste as well. And, you know, what are we doing to sort of failure-proof founders? And so I wrote the book on the back of, you know, kind of 20 years of working both in corporates and with startups to sort of, I guess, put, a, put out there my views on, you know, the, the 10 reasons why startups fail and I guess an alternative viewpoint about, you know, the areas that I think founders need to focus on for their own fitness, you know, what they need to do in terms of, you know, my take on on how do you build an effective business model and then ultimately how do you fund. So it was published in February by Wiley. You know, it's been really, really well received. You know, for me, it's suitable for anybody who's thinking about leaving the corporate world, entering into the startup world because it's a it's a pretty what's and all view of the good and the bad of what's to expect in, you know, your sort of entrepreneurial journey and how to prepare yourself for that. And I think it's also applicable for people who are already in startups. So, you know, maybe they've been sort of thrown into a startup, they maybe went into an incubator, they had an idea and maybe they're sort of a little bit rudderless and looking for some, you know, prescriptive views on, on how to do it. it. It's certainly not, you know, the be all and end all. It's, it's an introductory book and I'm in the process of writing a second book at the moment. But, you know, for me, it's, it's a really good sort of piece of writing to get out there to sort of give firstly one an Australian viewpoint. Um, a lot of the books that are currently out there have been written by, you know, people in the US and, there's a lot of differences between the communities. You know, the US has a very different experience and certainly a, certainly a different association with entrepreneurial failure. I think failure in Australia is still very stigmatised. And the venture and, entre and I guess startup community there is probably three or four generations old and it's still very new in Australia. And so I wanted to put a piece of writing out there that was, 
you know, written by an Australian founder for founders and that sort of just covered a broad gamut of topics for, for getting into the startup world in a more successful way. Yeah, I guess speaking to sort of other mentors that have written books as well, and some of them sort of say it was easier to write it than to, to get it off because there was something driving him to write it was that sort of the did you find that in your case or yeah look i'm intrinsically lazy in a sense that for me to sit down and write fifty-five thousand words is a tough kind of uh, ask a lot of people ask me if i had a ghostwriter actually with some of my friends i'm like you have no confidence in me what are you talking about i wrote i wrote i wrote every word painfully look i, I tried to write books before this one came out really really easily yeah right in terms of just sort of the timing, I just finished up with one of my startups and was sort of in a bit of a hiatus. And, you know, I'd, I'd started to sketch out the concept behind Unicorn Tears for a while. And, you know, I, I just it just sort of it was a book that's time had come. And so, yeah, look, it came out pretty well. Admittedly, I rewrote the entire book three weeks out from the deadline, you know, the usual sort of, the usual sort of suspect. The bigger challenge for me in writing a book was just, was it going to be good enough? And certainly you have to be reasonably vulnerable. A lot of people don't understand maybe if you haven't written a book that, you know, as an author, you know, you put a lot of your heart and your soul into it. It's never finished. You never feel like it's good enough, you know, but you want to get it out there. And so, yeah, you do sort of sort of put it out with a little bit of trepidation to go, okay, how's it going to be received? And, you know, will people think that I'm talking complete? garbage but you know it's been received really really well it's sold well in um in the u.s it's also sold really well in in southeast asia and in india and pakistan so you know and as well as in australia so it's been a global release through wiley and you know that's been a great experience um, sort of going through the commercial publishing process to understand i guess how that works and you know had a really great editor and you know that helped me sort of collect my thoughts so i think it makes my second book a lot easier as well yeah fantastic yeah thank, thanks for sharing yeah so uh, i'll yeah look forward to having a read of that and um watching out yeah. the second one if and when um yeah. you can, <laughs> i know i imagine yeah. 55 what is that 55,000 words 55,000 words yeah, Jeez, yeah it's, a lot, it's, it's a lot it's a lot yeah. <laughs> uh, so I guess, yeah, but, which I guess you've formed some good habits and which is probably a nice little segue into, you know, are there habits that you've found that have uh, helped you in either with the, whether it's those times of stress or looking at a VC deal or, yeah, that you'd want to share and impart with the listeners? Yeah, so uh, absolutely. I'm a huge believer in, in one habit and that is a morning routine. And so I have a very, I would say, well-defined morning routine that I would adhere to maybe 80% or 90% of the time. I'd love to say I adhere to it 100% of the time, but sometimes things get in the way. And, and so for me, that consists of, you know, getting up in the morning, depends on how I sleep, but I'll be getting up somewhere between 6.30 and 7.30 in the morning. I get up, I have a, a bit of a vitamin drink with some apple cider vinegar, um, and I then meditate for 20 minutes. And meditation for me, I use the Headspace app. You know, it works really, really well. I, I have a massively busy mind and meditation has been a huge struggle for me to to master. I started with five minutes, built up to 10, 15, 20 um, and really, really persisted with it. And that's at a point now where I feel that giving myself that headspace in the morning has started to have impacts other at other points in my uh, in my day. So it's made me overall more present certainly made me calmer and maybe be able to deal with the pressures of, of being an entrepreneur 
and then sort of dealing with anxiety and depression. That's helped a lot. So after that, um, I do some state priming. So it's sort of a Tony Robbins thing. I'm not a big Tony Robbins fan, but sort of like just getting back in your body, doing 10 push-ups or something like that um, to sort of, sort of activate you. I then eat breakfast and I then journal. So I journal. I use the five-minute journal. I love it. It's prescriptive. It's, uh, you know, a little bit of journaling in the, in the morning talking about you know, what are you grateful for? You know, what would make today great? And then there's some journaling that you do in the evening as part of an evening routine. And then I try and do some cold water immersion. So either I try and have a swim or I try and um, have a cold shower. And part of that's just sort of activating yourself. It's hard to do as well. But uh, for me, the act of sort of meditation, journaling, um, and what it probably, probably didn't mention is I don't take any email or do any email or do my phone or do any phone calls or do any meetings before 10 o'clock in the morning. And I protect the morning for myself. So after going through that routine, you know, I might finish up about 8 or so. Between 8 and 10 o'clock in the morning, I do my single biggest task. And so that could be, you know, writing the book it could be you know looking at something I'm investing in either way it's something that I've prioritized and for me the combination of all of those activities um, firstly get me into a great physical state and a good headspace it gets me energized but more importantly by not checking email or not taking phone calls or meetings in the morning it means I'm setting my own agenda rather than somebody else coming into my life and, you know, reading an email, which what I used to do, I used to wake up in the morning, 7.30, reach over, pick up my phone, read email, and I go, ah, right? And, and you know, that's, uh, you know, and it just sets your day off badly, right? You know, I've never seen anybody get an email that was good news, right? Like, yay, right? Most people get an email and they go, it's either more work or somebody's upset me or a customer's unhappy or, you know, I've got to do something, right? There's very, very, you know, of the... Hundreds of email I get a day, maybe one's good news and, you know, 99% is bad news of some kind. And so what it means is that from 10 o'clock onwards, I could do anything and the day's already been won, right? So I'm in a great headspace. I've set my own mental agenda from breath meditation and journaling. Physically, I feel good. And from a productivity standpoint, I have carved out that really great creative time between 8 and 10. I've done the work. And then the rest of the day can be a write-off, right? And if I get stuff done or I have meetings or whatever or the, or the day gets away from me, you know, then I, um, I, I don't feel bad because I've got a lot of stuff done before 10. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's probably a long-winded say, do I have a habit? I have a series of habits. But, you know, when we're talking to founders and I'm, when I'm coaching founders, I say establish a morning routine that works for you. For some people, they want to put exercise in there. For some people, it may be some, take some time reading or listen to a podcast. But for me, before 10 o'clock in the morning, that has to be your time. Um, you know, you have to set the agenda. Other people shouldn't be driving your agenda through email or phone calls or meetings. Um, and, you know, I found that once my headspace um, and my intentions are set really, really well in the morning, then the rest of the day is just a pleasure. You know, you can, you can kind of relax. Maybe you can get some more work done. Maybe not. It doesn't really matter at that stage. Amazing. Yeah, thank you for that level of detail too. It's just, uh, I guess... Um other mentors that we've had on, we've had various different iterations of that or bits and bobs, you know, the vitamins, the, the meditation. But it's just really interesting to sort of hear the rationale behind each step, especially around, yeah, the cold water immersion. You know, you, you, you're, 
you're, you're starting from a place of gratitude and then, okay, last bit is a bit of cold water and then bang, you're off. And doing <laughs> yeah, but, look, I mean, it's, and look, it's a series of things for me that, you know, kind of, for me, it's all about energy management and state, right? And so, you know, managing your energy as, as an entrepreneur is really, really crucial. You know, I think managing your energy in anything is, is really, really crucial. The good thing about an entrepreneur is you've probably got the luxury of being able to say, I can dictate my time before 10 o'clock. I mean, if you had to go to a corporate yeah. job, it'd be harder to do. But, you know, I see a lot of entrepreneurs, they'll get up, they'll, you know, check their email, and immediately they're rushing to respond to emails and, you know, it's the tail wagging the dog, so to speak, right? Um, you know, they don't eat well. You know, they're in this proverbial state of, you know, kind of adrenal fatigue where they are stressed out and then they go, I've never got any time to do the work I want to do and then that creates a cycle where they're more and more stressed because all they're doing is, is reacting and reacting and reacting to external stimulus um, and so for me, you know, life's short, you know, you've got to sort of spend it, you know, wisely and, and time is your most valuable commodity. And so spending that time in the morning for yourself, for me, is really, really time well spent. Yeah, amazing. No, thank you very much for sharing. And I mean, and that, that's advice in itself. Just pick that. I'm, well, I'll get the show note writer to just write that out so people can just follow it. But uh, <laughs> is, is there other advice you'd have or maybe advice you wish you received that you could also share? Yeah, I mean, firstly, take more risks. I know that's a cliche, but what's the worst that could happen? Right. So I, I wish that I had been more aggressive and taken more risks earlier. And certainly, you know, I think you become increasingly more risk averse and it's harder to take more risks when you've got kids and you've got mortgages and those kind of things. But, you know, I wish I had of really, really pushed the boat out when I was younger, um, in my 20s. You know, you could go bankrupt three times in your 20s and it not even make a dent, right? Um, I was speaking to a young entrepreneur yeah. who was sort of like, oh, I'm not sure what I should do. I'm like, how old are you? And they're like 23. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, you could go completely flat broke and you've got, like, a whole career that you can make it up, right? Like, yeah. you have, like, you, your risk profile should be massive, right? Like, go, go out there have three or four cracks at it. Like if nine out of 10 businesses are going to fail, do 10, right? You know, and, and get out there. So I definitely wish I had taken more risk. Certainly I wish I had have enjoyed myself more along the way. You know, it is uh, cliche to say stop and smell the roses, but, you know, there are times when I do look back on things and go, boy, I wish I had have paid more attention and been more present and actually enjoyed the time more. Um, and that goes for some of the bad things as well. I think as an entrepreneur, you've got to love the game, not necessarily the outcome, right? So, you know, if, if you're always there about, you know what, I'll be, I'll be happy once I get an exit or once I get funded or I'll be happy, you know, once my product's released, then, you know, you're always looking for particular events to drive your happiness. Whereas, you know, if you just love doing what you do, regardless of whether or not you're achieving particular milestones. And I know that, that sounds sort of a little bit counterintuitive, but the only way to survive and thrive as an entrepreneur go, I just love the game, right? So I just want to play. Now, sometimes we're going to win the game. Sometimes we're going to lose the game. Sometimes we're going to score tries and sometimes we're not. But, you know, for me, I just want to play the game and I want to enjoy that. I wish I had enjoyed it more. I was very results orientated in the early parts of my career. And, you know, because of that, I was, you know, driven around, you know, I'll be happy once I get these particular results and I wish I had enjoyed the you know my colleagues more or my clients more or just you know some of those times which which I definitely miss and then lastly you know was was probably to build more capacity so you know I sacrificed a lot of my 
physical fitness and, you know, I ate poorly and, you know, I didn't exercise well enough because I'm like, yeah, look, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. You know, once I've just got over this project or once I've finished with this client or once I've got this proposal in, then I'll spend some time on myself and I just never got around to it. And so, you know, for me, they're probably the three things that, you know, I'd give some advice to myself, which is take more risks, you know, never, never take your eye off building your own capacity and, you know, be grateful and, and enjoy yourself more. Yeah, great advice. And it's like you're talking directly to me with, with that stuff as well. Like I can just, yeah, I, I hear you loud and clear. Um, yeah, just a, the final question. We're just on the, on the home stretch here and we'll have you out of here. I know you're, you're catching up with the ABC shortly. Um, was just around a quote. Is there a quote that sort of stuck with you that you'd like to share? Yeah, I've got a, it's a really long quote, but for me, whenever I'm kind of feeling like the world is against me, and sometimes as an entrepreneur, you can feel that, there's a, a very long quote by um, Teddy Roosevelt called The Man in the, Re- the Arena. I'm not sure if you've heard of it but, it, but it goes something along the lines of, it is not the critic who counts, um, nor the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who have never known either victory or defeat. And so for me, that's a, it's a long quote, but it sums up how I sort of view the world um, as an entrepreneur, which is, you know, there are a lot of people who are sitting on the sidelines watching and not a lot of people who are playing. And if you're going to play, you're going to fail and you're going to succeed. And hopefully you have a good, healthy mix of both. But I've spent a lot of time in this country destigmatizing entrepreneurial failure. And I think that failure ultimately holds a lot of people back. Um, both personally through fear and also because there are a lot of critics sitting on the sidelines going, you know what, I shouldn't, you shouldn't have done that. You know, I wouldn't have never done it that way. But, you know, we're all sitting in their comfortable jobs or they're all sitting in their, you know, comfortable homes, you know, and it's very easy to criticise. That's why I like spending a lot of time with, with other entrepreneurs because, you know, you just have this common bond, you know, which is, you know, we're all just playing the game um, and it doesn't matter if, you know, somebody is succeeding. I love other people to be successful. I love to sort of be there and to see them succeed and I also like to be there to support them when they fail as well. So for me, that's sort of where that quote sort of comes from and it's something that from time to time I sort of I read to go, yeah, it's, it's, it's always about trying, not necessarily about winning. Yeah, fantastic. I, I, yeah, really like it. I didn't quite get all the words, but I'll uh, I'll Google it and I'll pop it up on the website. <laughs> no, no, no problems. <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, th- thanks again for your time, and um, you know we're, we're we're bang on time, and we've got you away for your to head off to the ABC. Um, but just before we sign off, just people that are would like to know more about you or get in contact with you, how would they find you? Uh, best place is my website, which is www.jamiepride.com. That's J-A-M-I-E-P-R-I-D-E.com. Um, I've got a pretty active Instagram, um, which is Jamie Pride, and you can always find me on LinkedIn. Um, so uh, they're probably the three best methods, or you can get me on Facebook or Carrier Pigeon, or I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm pretty easy to, pretty easy to find on the Google. But yeah, JamiePride.com is probably the best place to find everything there is to yeah. know about Fantastic. me. Fantastic, and I'll, I'll pop the 
links up there and also the link to yeah your new book as well so people can um yeah have a look at that also but yeah thank you again for your time today and for everyone listening in yeah great show today and tune in again next week for another great show my pleasure thank you thanks for having me the mentor list specializes in interviews with top business minds gather their advice for your career this is the mentor list